This evening I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, we're dropping right into the middle of Jeremiah's prophecy. It's 52 chapters long, actually. But we're going to look at a letter that he wrote to God's people as exiles in Babylon. So if you'd like to, feel free to follow along or you can, you can just listen. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. We are, this is our last week of four weeks. We are taking a brief break from our study in Mark's gospel to renew our vision and our values here at Red Mountain Church. And we have attempted to summarize our vision and values in four words. Those four words are worship, grace, community, and place. And these are are, are words that we believe express key basic themes in the Bible that help us to give expression to who we are and why we're here and what we're doing as a church here in the city of Birmingham. And last week, we looked at the word community. And for our fourth week, we're going to look at the word place. The word place. And by the word place, we're trying to express our belief that we we do not exist merely for our own sake, but also for the sake of our city. We're not simply an enclave of people who hibernate, but we, as a church, God's people locally here in this place, 
have a mission. We have a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. And therefore, this idea, this word place, is meant to keep us rooted in the daily ebb and flow of the opportunities and the complexities that we encounter in the unfolding story of the city of Birmingham. And However, as important as it is to know where God has placed us here in the south side of Birmingham, I want us to go deeper. I want us to go beyond just knowing our place to what do we do about that. So the question for us tonight is, how do we turn our value of place into an action? How do we move from identifying our place to actually loving our place? And to answer that, I want to take you to Jeremiah 29, the passage we just read, to learn three things. I want us to learn from this passage the character of our task to love our place, the place of our task, and then we'll end with the motivation for our task. So the character for our task, the place for our task, and the motivation for it. So first, let's look at the character of our task. This passage Like I said, it's a letter from Jeremiah that he wrote to the exiles, God's people, in Babylon in the 6th century B.C. This is before the final collapse of Jerusalem in 586. Somewhere somewhere between 590-something and 580-something, God gives this letter to Jeremiah to send it to his people in Babylon. And it's a letter that is... Attempting to give a task to God's people in this place, this pagan city of Babylon, where they need to work out how to relate to this new place where they live. And it's a place that radically differs from their values, their beliefs, and their practices. And God is sending them a letter to give them a task to work out how do we live as God's people in this place that's so radically different. There's no temple. There are no sacrifices. Nothing. Everything that God's people knew is not there. It's a totally different place. And therefore, the exiles were actually in danger of adopting one or two approaches for working out this task that God was giving them. The first one really comes from the Babylonians themselves. One of the the great strategies of an empire like Babylon, Assyria, was to capture or, or dominate neighboring countries and then take some of the the nobility, the royal family, and in particular take some of the younger people from those royal families and from the nobility and to bring them under the tutelage of King Nebuchadnezzar and his royal court. This is actually what we see happen in Daniel chapter 1. In the very first chapter of, of Daniel, this is what we read. King Nebuchadnezzar, what he wanted to do was, he wanted to bring the, the youth under his training, and it says in, in chapter 1 there, teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Do you know what he's doing? The whole idea of the Babylonians was, how can we get people of distinct identities, different places, different religions, different practices, and assimilate them 
into Babylon. Here's the idea. That Babylon wanted to assimilate God's people. Wanted to, as it were, work out of them their distinct identity. So they would no longer see themselves as God's people. But that they would become Babylonian. So the first pitfall, the first danger they were facing was losing their distinct spiritual identity. By moving into this city, being taken captive to live in the city of Babylon. But then there was another downfall, another danger that they faced. Not just the danger that they might lose their identity and assimilate to this new place and this new culture. The other danger was the exact opposite. And we find that in verses 8 and 9 here where God through Jeremiah tells his people not to listen to their prophets. For they were telling them lies. And earlier in chapter 28, we read of one of these false prophets, the false prophet Hananiah, who had promised to God's people that they wouldn't be in exile for 70 years. Which you need to think of, that's about two or three generations worth of of time. That they would be in, in, in Babylon for 70 years as God had prophesied through Jeremiah. But Hananiah said, no, in less than two years, you will be back in Jerusalem, and God will restore you to the way things used to be. In other words, the the subtext of that was, don't move into that city, stay away from it, retreat from it, insulate yourself from it, do not lose your spiritual identity, your distinct identity as God's people. And so you see, there's these two opposing viewpoints that we see in Jeremiah and in this letter. The two opposing viewpoints, one is you move into Babylon, into this pagan city, totally different than your values and beliefs and practices and lose who you are. The other possibility was that you would retreat from it, that you would stay, you would disdain this new place, insulate yourself from it, but keep your spiritual identity. And I venture to guess that those are the two most common options the Christian church tends to think of when we think about place, when we think about our cities, where we live, and what does it look like for people of faith in Jesus Christ to relate to cultures and values and practices and beliefs that differ significantly from the message of Christianity. But Jeremiah says something very different, and it's quite radical And it's astounding. He actually calls the exiles to enter into the life of their new place, of this city, of Babylon, and to love it, to care for it, and to keep their spiritual identity. Do you see that? That Jeremiah tells them, enter into the life of this city, care for it, and keep your spiritual identity. In Jeremiah verse 29 here in verse 7, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Think about this for a minute. Here, God, we have it in the pages of the Bible, God is calling his people to seek the common good of a pagan city, 
A city no less than the city of Babylon who has destroyed Jerusalem. Among many things, this is God calling his people to love their enemies, to seek their common good, to seek the welfare of this place. But notice here, I want you to see here what what God is actually saying. God is saying in verse 7 that the joy and the peace and the prosperity of his people will be found in the peace and prosperity of this city. In verse 7 he says, "For For in its welfare you will find your welfare. See, Jeremiah is not saying, move into this city and create your own shalom, your own welfare, your own peace and prosperity, and hide yourself, insulate yourselves from this city. That's not the kind of welfare and peace and prosperity I have in mind. In fact, that's not biblical shalom. That's a Hebrew term that simply means rightness or wholeness, the way things are supposed to be, but it's in fact God's people here are described as finding their peace and prosperity in partnership with, in concert with the welfare, the common good of the city that they've been sent to. And so I think it's important to ask ourselves do we see our joy and our prosperity here in Birmingham as bound up with the fate of? Of our communities, particularly the city of Birmingham? Or do we tend to think of our own prosperity, our own peace, our own wholeness as distinct from that? You see, if if we don't see that our joy and our peace and our prosperity is bound up with the peace and prosperity of our place, we're actually seeking after a kind of shalom that's alien to Christianity. Utterly alien to Christianity. And it's alien to God's call to serve and to love the people of this place, regardless of their values or their practices or their beliefs. So let's think for a moment. If if that's what the call is here, if that's what we're being told by Jeremiah that his people were called to do as they were living in this very different place from what they were used to, not their true home, what would it look like to actually do what God calls His people to do here? And I have to say, I'm only six and a half months in here in Birmingham, and I still feel very, very new to this city. Maybe some of you are new here to Birmingham as well. Some of you have been here a long time. You know a great deal about Birmingham. So I, I still find myself with much to learn. And so my my purpose tonight isn't to give you super specific, trenchant uh, examples or ideas or suggestions about how we do this. Instead, what I want to do, I just want to survey with you for a moment God's original design and function for cities as we find them in the Old Testament. As a template for how we can begin to think about how we might turn our value of place into an action here in Birmingham. So, here's what I want to do. Think for a moment. Let me give you some big picture uh, ideas to, to hang your hats on. 
First of all, a definition for city. When I say the word city, what do I mean? Really what I mean by that is any place of density, diversity, and cultural energy. That's an accurate description of pretty much any place in the, in the Old Testament or in the Bible as a whole that's referred to as a city. It's a place of density, diversity, and cultural identity. And the basic design and function of cities that we see in the Old Testament, they served basically four main purposes. First of all, they were places of refuge and safety. Many cities in the Old Testament were described as having walls that surrounded their city, and it served as a place of refuge and safety, especially for those in society who lacked power. Therefore, cities were the best places for for women and children, for minorities and immigrants. They were also places of justice. Outside of the cities, it was pretty much every man for himself. But in cities, there was justice, there was jurisprudence, there was There were ways to actually deal with conflict in a way that didn't result in necessarily more conflict. But there were fair, just ways to deal with that. But there were also places of cultural development. Cities in in, in the Bible were places where the commercial sector, the social sector, the political sector, the arts sector all connected. They overlapped. They interfaced and they became this generate, generating principle that fueled cultural development that bubbled out of the cities and began to influence the surrounding areas. But they were also places of spiritual seeking and finding. The highest point in any city, whether it was a, a shrine on the top of a hill, whether it was a temple, whether it was a great tower or a great structure, or a great skyscraper, that always indicated what the people of that place were looking to for their significance. Cities housed and had in them places of spiritual seeking and finding. So those are the, the four basic functions that we see cities serving in the Old Testament. However, while these were the basic functions, sin has broken cities. Almost nowhere in the Old Testament do we see those basic functions thrive as they were intended to. Sin and selfishness has led to the breakdown of their original design. And therefore, instead of cities being places of refuge and safety, cities have become and did become places of racism, of classism, and violence. They were places that oppressed the vulnerable. And the powerless. Instead of being places of justice, cities become places actually now to escape from God and His law, to get away from justice, mercy. Cities, instead of being places of cultural development that celebrate God and His creation, what He has made, the human race, all that is good and beautiful. Now, in many ways, cities have become places of pride and arrogance and excess and overwork and exhaustion. And instead of being places of spiritual seeking and finding, cities now, in many ways, have become places where 
No belief or false beliefs are nurtured and embraced. So if that's essentially where we find ourselves, I think our cities in many ways today around the world map onto that pretty closely. What then in general terms might it look like to seek the welfare, to seek the prosperity of our place and our city here in Birmingham? Again, generally speaking, I think this is what it would look like. We need to restore or work for restoring the city's original purposes. So what that might mean is that we need to serve and love those who need help and protection, regardless of their race or their gender or their class. We need to bring God's love, peace, and justice to bear on a broken world. We need to create and cultivate culture. That could essentially fall into two basic areas. The arts. Giving and helping people who give voice to our stories and our experiences, especially where there is silence. Giving expression to the human, to human dignity, but also in our faith and work, in our vocations. Working to, to help one another grow in wisdom about how to make decisions in your various callings, where you work. I know many of you are faced day in and day out with conundrums, issues, questions, morally, ethically, politically, that bring you up short and you don't know what to do. How do you navigate that? How do you do that in such a way that seeks the peace and prosperity of where you are and yet doesn't call you to forsake your distinct identity as one of God's people? But also we need to be a place of spiritual seeking and finding that in the end holds out the gospel, Jesus Christ, as the satisfaction of that quest, of that seeking. Now, if you're anything like me, just one of those sounds overwhelming and hard to know how to even navigate, let alone where where to begin. So where do we get the motivation? Where do we find the resources to begin to embrace this kind of vision, this kind of love for, concern for our place? It's, it's very interesting. that the, the passage we read earlier from 1 Peter, the very beginning, Peter actually describes Christians as exiles. He draws a direct analogy, comparison to the experience that we just read about the exiles in Jeremiah 29 to the New Testament church, our place as exiles in this world. And here, the term exile means essentially resident alien. A resident alien. It describes a person as a permanent resident in a place that is not their true home. One way to illustrate this is, uh, I think, uh, I think I'm not saying this is always. I'm not saying this is bad, but you know, you ever had uh, someone say to you, or have you ever thought, yeah, I, this just isn't my forever home, or you know, I, I just really would love to find my forever home. And while, while I totally understand that, and I'll just speak personally about this. It's, it's often much more than that. 
I, I spend an enormous amount of time and energy trying to make my life here my permanent home, my forever home. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, this is not your true home. This is not your true home. By virtue of being connected with Jesus, you are, by definition, a resident alien. You are living as a permanent resident here in a place that is not your true home. So one writer puts it like this, that an exile or a permanent residence, their primary allegiance was to another country. And that country's culture was formative for their beliefs and practices. Yet, they lived in their country of residence as full participants in its life. In other words, resident aliens lived neither as natives nor as tourists. Though they were not permanently rooted, neither were they merely travelers who were just passing through. You see, we are resident aliens. We're not natives but nor are we tourists. So where do you find the motivation? If, you, if you've ever lived somewhere for a short time, maybe. I know some of you have, are either here in grad school, you've been elsewhere in grad school, or you've lived somewhere for a short period of time. What's always the temptation? Well, if you lived in an apartment, it's not to hang things on the wall, right? <laughs> You're just not going to be there that long. You don't go to, I don't know, where you shop for furniture like at home maybe in Homewood you go to Ikea you're not going to be there that long so where do you find the motivation to give your life away to a place that's not permanent see the answer to that is found in verse 11 it's found in God's commitment to his people when God says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You see, Jeremiah's point here is that God's plans for us are realized through seeking the welfare of your place and its people. But see, we will never live as resident aliens the way we are called to until we first see that Jesus Christ became a resident alien for us. That Jesus Christ became an exile for you and sought your welfare in a place that was not his true home in order that you might find your way to your true home, to perfect communion and fellowship with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, in the gospel, Jesus Christ gives up perfect communion and fellowship with his Father in heaven. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born a man. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came not just to seek the welfare to create a new city, But in his death and resurrection, Jesus has initiated and begun an entirely new creation. In the gospel, we are given a vision of what it looks like to seek the prosperity and the peace and the welfare of where we live, even if it costs you your life. 
Because that's what Jesus Christ has come to do for all of those who trust in him. See, therefore, the, the, the motivation to do this, to do what we're called to from this passage in Jeremiah 29, is, comes as we live out a vital relationship and fellowship with Jesus and what he has done for us. Because it's as you live out of relationship with him, through faith in him, that you find, one, the humility to move towards people with very different beliefs, practices, and values than your own. But also find the confidence to do that. Knowing that you will be taken care of. That this is not your permanent home. That there is a heavenly city, a new Jerusalem. There is a better place yet to come. And therefore, to long for that, to seek after that, means that seeking after it here and now, it's not a waste of time. To seek after the peace and prosperity of our place means that you are beginning to value and to love those things that God loves, even at the cost of His own Son. So where where do we need to begin to seek the welfare the shalom, the peace and prosperity of, of this place. They're just two basic, simple directions. And then I'm two basic questions for you. And then we'll be done. First, did you see what Jeremiah says? He says, essentially in verse 5 and 6, settle in for the long haul. Even if you're not going to be here a long time. Live like this is your permanent home. Settle in for the long haul. But then secondly, and most importantly, pray for our place. Pray for our city. Seek God's blessing for our city. Ask Him for wisdom and for help. Ask Him for courage, for generosity. Ask Him to help you to know how can you, in all that you already have going on in your life, how does, how does my life need to change to line up with what it looks like to find joy and prosperity here even as I seek the joy and prosperity of this place? And here are just two questions. Let me leave you with these two questions to help you reflect on this. First, how do you view the place in which you live? What emotions come to mind? What do you value about it? It's actually three, but that's the first section of three. Here's the second. In what specific ways can, can you or can we seek to serve and love our place of residence rather than resemble it or remove ourselves from it? How can we seek to serve this place rather than resemble it or remove ourselves from it? We are called here to seek the welfare of this place. For in its welfare, we will find our welfare. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, right now, as this passage calls us to, to to pray on its behalf, to pray on behalf of our city, our place. We we do that and and ask that you you would bring healing you bring justice and mercy 
that you would bring spiritual seeking and finding, that you bring safety and refuge, and you bring cultural renewal to our city here in Birmingham. And we pray that you would use us however normally it may look. We ask that you would help us as a community to love our place and to realize that to seek after what you long for and you care about and what you love means that we, we need to roll up our sleeves and we need to not only seek after those good things for ourselves, but especially for our city, for people who believe very different things and practice very different things and even value very different things. So would you help us? Would you give us wisdom, humility, and patience? And most of all, give us the motivation because of what Jesus has done for us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.